Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Sunday, January 23rd is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So tonight we're covering quite literally a deadly serious topic, the abolition of abortion. Listeners, did you know that there is a big difference between being an abolitionist and being pro-life? In this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken, we're hoping that we can help you understand the difference and also encourage you to get involved in the fight against abortion so that you can make up your mind. Are you pro-life or do you want to abolish abortion altogether? It's a question we really all should consider very seriously. That's right. And to help us out with that, we're turning to a friend of mine, Pastor Brett Baggett, who has been very involved in the abolition movement, particularly in his home state of Oklahoma. Well, Brett, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be on this. I love getting to talk about Jesus, love getting to speak and discuss how how do we best love our neighbors as ourselves. So I just appreciate you ladies inviting me to come on to talk about this. Thank you. Oh, amen. So my name is Brett Baggett. I am a pastor of a Reformed Baptist church here in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We planted the church about 11 years ago now in 2011. And so I serve as one of the elders here. I do a lion's share of the preaching and I have five beautiful children and I have one wife. I love doing family worship with my family. And a lot of my time is given to shepherding the church, but specifically through preaching, teaching, and training the men in our church so that they can shepherd their homes. We believe everything kind of comes down to that. Are the men being men and leading their homes and shepherding their homes? So what, what I give a lot of my time to is training men and training future pastors as well. In addition to those normal duties every week and every month, I, I'm pretty involved in the abolition of abortion movement here in Oklahoma and then beyond. I'm the one of the board members of a group called Rescue Those. It's a nonprofit organization that we founded in 2020 to try to educate Christians and help equip them to think biblically when it comes to how we should act in this abortion holocaust. And so I give a lot of my time to that. And that's kind of who I am. I'm a I mean, I guess I could say in addition to that, I'm a third generation Southern Baptist. My grandpa was a Baptist pastor for 55 years up until the day that he died. My dad was a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor for 35 years, and now I'm going on 15 years. So wow, <laughs> that's who I am. That's my background, my past. Uh, well, we're glad you're here, Brett. And I, I was going to say, I remember being 10 years old when abortion was legalized back in 1973. And even as a kid in a non-Christian home, you know, my parents were pretty liberal. I knew even then that abortion was horribly wrong. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, young minds just know instinctively that that is the truth. Uh, how and when did God initially stir your heart to get involved in the fight against abortion? Well, as, as far or as far back as I can really remember, I've always been pro-life in the sense of I knew it was wrong and just had that instilled in me. I know it's in my conscience because God gave it to me and his law is even written on my heart, but I didn't 
deny that even from a young age. And my parents were pro-life and always talked about the reality of abortion and that murder is wrong, period. So I even remember at a young age, one of my friends, he said his parents were voting for, I can't even remember which president it would be. I think it was Bill Clinton, but they're, you know, he's a Democrat and basically kind of pro-abortion. And I remember thinking, it's like, you can't vote for somebody who's pro-abortion. And then my friend said to me, well, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, they're not really going to do anything to stop abortion. So it doesn't matter if you vote for somebody who is okay with killing babies or not. And I remember, I don't know, I was eight years old or something like that. And I remember thinking, no, that's not right. We can't support anything like that. So that's my earliest memory. And it was just due to my parents raising me and telling me what is the truth. And then beyond that, when I was a youth pastor, I would speak about it a little bit, but I didn't really come out and officially make it something I actually talk about or preach sermons on or things like that until 2015, I think, was the first time that I set aside a sermon to just specifically talk on this issue. So around 2012 or so, I had started seeing these things about abolish abortion. I saw them online and thought, well, that that's right. And I just thought these people were super pro-life and weren't scared to just shoot people straight. And I remember thinking, man, these guys are legit. They're not scared to just say, this is horrendous. We need to abolish it. But I still didn't really understand the difference between pro-life and abolition. And I didn't really get involved in the movement until just about three years ago, when a few things that I'll share later, most likely, really God kicked me into gear. And I realized I have got to get involved. My neighbors in the womb are being slaughtered every day in my state. And I, I need to speak up. I need to speak the truth. Well, I, th- I think a lot of us probably have a similar story, those of us who grew up in Christian homes. And, you know, we always we kind of always knew that abortion was wrong and we would always, you know, describe ourselves as pro-life and everything. But, you know, we've touched on this this idea a little bit of the difference between being pro-life and the idea of abolition or being an abolitionist. So uh, can you tell us a little bit, what is the difference between being pro-life and being an abolitionist? And can you explain what those differences are? And why did you decide to become an abolitionist instead of maybe what we would consider just staying pro-life? Sure. I think one of the clearest ways I can put it is that the pro-life movement that is really just taking its cues from the culture and not really taking its cues from scripture, really one of the mantras that they repeat a lot is we want to make abortion unthinkable. And so it's, it's, we're positive about life. We think abortion is wrong and we want to do everything we can so that a woman would never even consider killing her child. We want to make it unthinkable. Whereas from the abolitionist standpoint on the other side would say, because of sin, abortion will never be unthinkable to sinners who are still dead in their sin and don't love the Lord. It'll never be unthinkable. It'll always be thinkable to them. God has already said in Jeremiah 32, 35, that a child sacrifice is unthinkable to him. It's just crazy. The the way that the Lord speaks there is He's the omniscient one saying it never even entered my mind that they would do this abominable thing like sacrifice their children. 
So in some sense, the Lord is saying it is already unthinkable to him and to those who have his righteousness and those who have the Holy Spirit, but it's not unthinkable to sinners. I mean, in, in Romans 3, Paul says that their feet are swift to shed blood. And so the difference between pro-life and abolition is pro-life is trying to say, you know what, abortion's bad. There's not a whole lot we can do about it other than really try to convince people they shouldn't do it and maybe have social structures that would be better so that people wouldn't do it or pregnancy resource centers, things like that. So we could talk them out of it. And then in the meantime, legislatively, pro-lifers try to pass laws that would regulate abortion and just try to make it as difficult as possible for a woman to get an abortion, but not necessarily to just make it illegal. Whereas an abolitionist says, no, we, we don't need to regulate when, where, how, and why someone can kill their child, like all pro-life bills do. We just need to abolish it. And that would mean apply the homicide laws that protect all of us in our states, just apply those to everybody equally. All human beings are protected by the same laws that keep people from being murdered. It is so interesting how people in the world will gasp to hear you say that just because, you know, it, it sounds so unreasonable and unthinkable to them that, uh, you know, that that abortion shouldn't just be safe and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and the rest of us are going, wait a second, the, the tr strength of the truth is found in the Holy Spirit and he convicts us that murder is wrong. Um, so I, I'm really glad that you're on the front lines. Uh, you recently released a documentary film called A Storm Comes Rolling Down the Plain about the abolition movement. And, and some of the abolition work that's been going on, particularly in your home state of Oklahoma over the last several years. Can you give us a little teaser about uh, some of the things in the film? Yeah. So the abolition of abortion, that and basically tying the abolition movement from the 19th century in the United States of America in particular, tying that abolition to not just slavery, but to abortion, that really started in 2010, 2011 in Norman, Oklahoma. There were a group of guys there in Norman, one in particular is a friend of mine named Russell, who is doing his graduate work at the University of Oklahoma, and he starts reading some of these abolitionists and the abolition of slavery and particularly guys even before the abolition of slavery in America, but guys like William Wilberforce in England. And so he, he was reading these guys and they're talking about that the, the, biggest, the biggest hindrance to ab abolishing slavery in their time was not the people just who were pro-slavery, but the biggest delay to actually it being abolished was those who said, yes, yes, yes. Slavery is wrong, but we need to get rid of it incrementally, hmm. or they actually said gradually. And so there were this there was this group called the gradualists who said, of course, slavery is wrong, but we're going to have to get rid of it very slowly and gradually and just kind of chip away at it. And the abolitionists were saying, no, it's morally wrong to steal people, to be a man stealer and then sell people like that. And so we just need to abolish it. And so he started reading these things and went, oh, my goodness, that is exactly what we're doing with abortion in the United States of America. Since 73, since Roe was passed, the pro-life movement has not been saying we just need to pass legislation that would make it illegal to murder babies, period. 
we've been saying we need to chip away at it. It's bad, but we really can't do anything other than regulate, you know, under 20 weeks. No, you can't kill them, but, uh, you know, or above 20 weeks, you can't kill them below. You can, or heartbeat bills at six weeks, things like that. So this connection just happened that the Holy Spirit was just moving and enlightening these guys' minds to where they made the connection said, oh my goodness, we've been regulating which babies can be murdered rather than saying it's murder. It, it should be illegal, just like it's illegal to murder us. So this started in Oklahoma, this abolition of abortion movement. And the documentary basically tells the story of how this storm has come rolling down the plane in the last decade in Oklahoma and how it's grown. It was a small group and then pastors started to wake up. And then we had uh, a man ran, run for governor in Oklahoma in 2018 named Dan Fisher, who was an abolitionist. And so we had somebody run for office. And then now we have a senator who was the very first state senator to present an abolition bill in any state in the United States. And that happened even in 2016. So it kind of tells the narrative of how God has slowly um, awakened his church to the horrors of abortion and to actually seek to do away with it, not just regulate it. And so we tell that, and then that's the narrative of the documentary showing how Jesus has built this movement and that people are waking up to the reality and actually fighting for the truth. And it also teaches what abolitionism is and the principles of it, and that it's based on the Bible. It's gospel-centered. It's not pragmatic, but it's aligned providentially. We're, we're do, trying to do our duty so far as what God reveals in the scriptures, and we're trusting the Lord with the results. You know, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord. So we want to do what he says and trust him with the results, not just say, well, what do we think will work? No, we want, we want to actually act like the Bible's true and Jesus is king and say, we're going to be obedient and trust the Lord with the results. It's also through the church, the, the abolition movement is. It's not through parachurch ministries. It's through those individuals that Christ has purchased with his own blood and put his spirit in. It's those people, not just like giving to an organization and they'll do all the work. It's Christ's people rising up and actually working to abolish abortion. So the, it tells that and kind of some ups and downs. We had some people that would speak against it. And then one pastor in particular who used to speak against abolition is a pastor of a very large Southern Baptist church in Edmond, Oklahoma, spoke against abolitionists. And then God just changed his mind and he repented. And now he is an abolitionist and is laboring towards this end as well. And so just telling some of those stories and trying to teach people and equip people to think and act biblically when it comes to being in the midst of this Holocaust. Brett, do you think it would be okay if we played a little sound clip uh, from the film here right now? Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's take a listen. This is a clip from A Storm Comes Rolling Down the Plane. On January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that a woman had the right to an abortion and that states did not have the right to ban them. It has been 48 years since that lawless decision, and the pro-life movement has seen absolutely no success. Law after law is passed, but the number of abortions continues the same, 
day after day. Three years in a row, Senate Bill 13, the abolition of abortion in Oklahoma Act, was killed by religious leaders, legislators who go to church. Many are Baptists, megachurch pastors, and denominational leaders also participated, and even National Right to Life. All of them pro-life, all killing bills that end abortion, all in favor of situational bills that regulate and legalize child sacrifice in the womb. Maybe I should do it. I've never come out and said I'm an abolitionist. I guess it's about time. So I'm an abolitionist. There you go. Wow, that was really amazing. And really the whole documentary is is so it's so moving and so inspiring and I just can't say enough good things about it. It is really an amazing, well put together, great quality documentary. And we certainly uh, really encourage all of our listeners to go, uh, to go grab it. And we're going to give you some more information about how you can do that later. Uh, But what something I wanted to touch on, and and this is kind of, uh, this is kind of talked about in the documentary a bit, uh, but it's it's the objections, you know, when you when you you were talking earlier, Brett, about how we don't need to be pragmatic about this and just try to do whatever we think will have the best outcome or whatever we think will work, quote unquote. But we need to just obey God and just make this is murder and we need to make it illegal and we need to punish people who do it. And it needs to be illegal across the board, not just regulated, not just, you know, chip away at it here and there, but it needs to be illegal right this minute with no exceptions. Right. And so now I know that a lot of us, like we were talking about earlier, we we've grown up in this, this, uh, sort of pro-life, uh, atmosphere where we hear all the the various arguments flying around and all of that, what are the two two or three top objections that you hear when you talk to to people, to pastors, to politicians about this idea of across the board abolition of abortion with no exceptions? And as you tell us about those objections, tell us how you would answer those objections too. Sure. Well, if I could, let me compare... Uh, a typical pro-life bill and then a typical abolition bill. And then I think you'll understand the objections or those listening would understand the objections a lot better. So a typical pro-life bill would be like something that was passed in Texas and is still right now at the beginning of 2022 being upheld somewhat. And it is if, if the child is old enough in the womb to have a detectable heartbeat you cannot kill it. Now, what that bill actually then says by effect is if the child is not old enough to have a detectable heartbeat five weeks or six weeks, you can kill it. So this typical, that's about as good as pro-life bills get in the sense that they're thinking like we're going to save the most lives. But really in the end, all all that bill has done is told Texas women, you can kill your child You just need to make sure you do it before six weeks. That's what the bill does in effect. You can murder your child because the law actually says they're not protected under six weeks. And so that's a pro-life bill. And that's when I say pro-life regulations that are trying to regulate that all they do in the end is tell somebody when 
where, how, and why they can murder their child under cover of law with impunity. So an abolition bill, in contrast to that, would say, from the moment of fertilization, the homicide laws that already exist and are on our books would just apply to that baby. You can't murder a baby for any reason. So even if the child was conceived in rape, it, it's not the child's fault, though that is a horrific thing that happens to women. That's a very minority of the abortions that actually happen, but it does happen to some women. But still, the baby that has been conceived is not guilty of any crime and cannot be murdered. It's never justifiable to murder a baby for one of the parents' sins. And so an abolition bill would say there's no exceptions. It's not, well, a doctor may say the life of the mother's at stake, so let's go kill the baby. Or it was conceived in rape, so you can kill your baby. An abolition bill says no exceptions, no compromises. The, the homicide laws apply to everyone from the moment of fertilization. So it also says we don't care what the Supreme Court says. Because in 1973, the Supreme Court gave an unconstitutional opinion and decision that they tried to construe the Constitution to say that it allows women to murder their children, which it doesn't. And everyone knows that the Constitution doesn't say that. But people have been submitting to Roe v. Wade, that decision of the Supreme Court, for almost 50 years now. So an abolition bill says we do not care what the Supreme Court says. We're not going to allow that to happen in our state. The Supreme Court, as some just frankly say, when it comes to murdering babies, we're not going to do that here. And the Supreme Court can pound sand. We're not going to listen to them who are trying to make us allow that. So it defies the decision of Roe v. Wade, an abolition bill does. Whereas pro-life regulations, the reason the pro-life movement tries to regulate it is because they're trying to figure out how do we still submit to Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court's decision and still try to save babies. So an abolition bill says the state has the right to nullify an unconstitutional federal decision. And in our state, we would just protect all life. And it also has no compromises, no exceptions. So that's uh, hopefully that gives you a contrast, an example of the difference between a pro-life bill and an abolition bill. Now, the, the objections to an abolition bill that I hear most frequently, one of them is in an abolition bill, there's no exception explicitly stated for the life of the mother. And this is something, sadly, that the pro-life movement has actually adopted from the pro-choice movement. And even those in the pro-life movement think that a lot of abortions happen because if you don't go in and kill a baby inside its mother's womb, then that mother's going to die. That's simply not true. That's not the reality that you have to go murder a child in order to save the life of the mother. But that's something that the pro-life movement even regurgitates and maybe hasn't even thought about that they're just regurgitating what the pro-choice movement has been saying. But there is no exception stated for the life of the mother, but what is in a abolition bill is simply that a doctor would treat both patients and they would stand up and they would uphold the Hippocratic Oath, which is do no harm, and they would treat both patients, not just the mother, not just the child, and they would do everything that is in their means to try to save both. 
and what that would mean in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, for instance, to where there's a life, but it's in the fallopian tube and it sticks there and a tubal pregnancy, it's also called, or it's outside of the womb. What you would do in that situation is a doctor should try to figure out how to take that baby and attach it to the womb or try to have an early delivery if it comes down to having to save the life of the mother because the tube may rupture. But all it all a bill like this says is the doctor just needs to do everything that they can to try to save both lives. And now we know where we're at with medical science that we're not able yet to take that life and attach it to the ovaries. We're not able to do that or to attach it to the womb rather. We're not able to do that yet, but we should be. And one of the reasons that we're not able to do that yet and to be able to fix a tubal pregnancy is because for years, if you think it's an ectopic pregnancy, the answer has been go kill the child. When we should have, like they started doing all the way back in the 1920s, they started trying to figure out how we can take that child and put it where it needs to go inside the woman. And so the child and the mother would be safe. But no, no women are going to die on the operating table. No, no woman's life is going to be threatened by an abolition bill happening that doesn't have exceptions or compromises in it. All it says is the doctor needs to treat both patients and do what they can. And if the baby can't be saved, then that's understandable. But there's a difference in, in trying to save the baby or just giving the woman medicine that would kill her child because you think it could potentially be problematic for the life of the mother later. So that's one of the big objections. And it's a very simple one that is not really an objection that should be had. And that's not an abortion when you're trying to treat both patients and you're trying to do everything you can. If the child dies, that's not murder. That's not an abortion. That's just the sad reality of the choice that the doctor's got to make to try to save both patients. Does that make sense? It sure does. Thanks for clarifying that. It seems like prayer must have played a very important role in a lot of the events that you depict in uh, your film, A Storm Comes Rolling Down the Plain. Can you help our listeners understand how vital prayer is to the work of abolishing abortion? Absolutely. I mean, if if the Lord doesn't build this, if the Lord does not make this happen, just like in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house in vain, its builders strive. And so anything that we're trying to do, anything that we speak when we preach the gospel or when we speak to the consciences of people to say, you know, it's wrong to murder. We shouldn't. It should be illegal unless the Lord by his spirit comes and makes that word effectual to those who are listening, then we're just striving in vain. And one of the reasons prayer is so important, too, is that we need Christians, people who are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit and sealed. We need them to wake up to this horror that's actually happening in all of our states. I mean, 15 to 20 babies are murdered every day in Oklahoma alone. And we're a very small state and we are the most conservative state in the entire union. And still 15 to 20 of our neighbors are slaughtered every day. And a lot of the reason that abortion is not yet abolished is because a lot of believers are still kind of asleep when it comes to this issue. So prayers, babe, because we're asking God to continually wake up his people to the horrors of the fact that our neighbors are killed and 
that we're told to go and rescue those being carried off to death in Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. And we're told to love our neighbors as we would want to be loved if we're in their situation. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So if I say prayer is important because we, we need to beg God to wake up his church and strengthen us to actually fight for the lives of our neighbors. Because if the church actually talked to their legislators, those who represent them, if all of Christ's people actually did what they can to speak up about this and call their legislators to pass legislation that would abolish abortion, it would happen. The problem is that many Christians are apathetic towards their neighbors being killed, and some of them just ignorant to what we can do to actually work to abolish abortion. And we need God to wake up people and to strengthen them to stand firm in the day of adversity. We absolutely do. And and that's why prayer is so is such an important part of of this mission really is what it is. Um, and we've got to it's a it really is a supernatural thing. Like you were saying, we've got to ask God to open the eyes of the church pastors really the world, in fact. And I think one way that God has answered that prayer to open people's eyes is with your documentary. And it's it really is a great documentary. And like I said before, I would absolutely recommend that not not only that all of our listeners should watch it, but also that our listeners should urge your pastors to watch it and show it to the whole congregation. Um, Brett, as a pastor yourself, if you could take a moment just to speak specifically to pastors, why is it so important that they watch a storm comes rolling down the plane and also to show it to their churches? And we'll link to the information about how they can get a hold of it, of the documentary uh, in the show notes. But you can go ahead and tell us about that, too, if you will, you know, tell us what the link is and everything. Yeah, you can go to a stormcomesrolling.com. And that will take you right to where you can watch the documentary. You can rent it for $3.99 to where you, you have three days, 72 hours to stream it. Or you can purchase it for $14.99 to where you can download the video file or you can stream it whenever you want from any device you want. You just log in and watch it whenever you want. We also just received our DVDs, our hard copies of the DVDs in today. So we now have DVDs that are available for people as well. And I would encourage you, especially just like you said, Michelle, and thank you for that encouragement for people to watch it. But I would encourage all, all of those listening to watch it. And then if you have one of your pastors or all of your pastors or pastors that you know that aren't even a part of your church, maybe that you want to be able to watch it, contact me. You can contact me and I will send you a code that you can send them to where pastors can just watch it for free. Oh, excellent. I, I'm very excited about that. And I think a, a lot of churches would uh, do well to take advantage of that offer. I hope so. Okay, now I want to zero in on a certain incident that was featured in the documentary. At the 2021 annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, you and some other good brothers, I particularly remember that one of them was Tom Askell's brother, Bill. Tom, of course, being the, the head of Founders Ministries, and his brother, Bill, is also a pastor in Oklahoma, like you are. 
But several of y'all wrote and presented a resolution on abolition and introduced it at the convention to be voted on. Would you tell us how that all went down? And then also, because we have a lot of Southern Baptists in our audience. I mean, I'm Southern Baptist. You're Southern ba- a Southern Baptist pastor. Amy's church just left the SBC a few months ago. Tell us whatever you think Southern Baptists need to know about where we are as a convention on abortion and abolition and the direction you think we need to go? That's a great question. So what went down at the 2021 annual meeting is that we presented a resolution that we authored, many of us, and not only pastors from Oklahoma, but Southern Baptist pastors from somewhere from Kentucky, Indiana, Washington State, Oregon, all over the place. And so we authored this resolution, basically just calling for an end to regulating or calling for regulations of abortion and just saying, we need to call for what the scripture says and just call for justice to be established for our neighbors. So we present this, the resolution committee then gets it and they get to decide whether or not they're going to bring it to all of the messengers. They decided not to. And then we had to, from the floor, basically make a motion that it would be brought out of the resolutions committee And so all the messengers that were gathered there would be able to actually hear it and then vote on it. So we had to make that motion and had to get a two thirds vote just to pull it out of the committee that chose not to put it forward. That passed. And then the next day we had discussion about the resolution and then it passed. And a couple of things of note were the fact that it, it did pass. And so, and it passed overwhelmingly. So So I think what you can learn as Southern Baptists is that a majority of Southern Baptists, when they hear just the simple argument for abolishing abortion rather than trying to keep regulating it, they're saying, yeah, that makes sense. That's consistent with what God's word says. Let's treat murder like it's murder. Uh, The government exists to protect the innocent and to punish the evildoer. So let's actually just do that. I think a majority of Southern Baptists, when they hear the argument, saying, Yeah, that's really what we should do to love our neighbor. And the particular people that spoke against the resolution, uh, which I think is worth noting, are we had one guy that works for the ERLC who spoke against abolishing abortion because we said we shouldn't be doing what the pro-life movement's been doing. We're not going to do that anymore, calling for regulations. We're going to call only for the abolition, the end of abortion. And they said, we can't do that. We've been doing the incremental stuff for almost 50 years. We can't say we've been doing that wrong. It's like, why not? Repentance is great. You should try it. When we realize we've been wrong about something, we need to say, you know what? We've been regulating who can be murdered. We got to stop that. So we're calling for repentance and saying, repent with us. We used to be in the same boat. So ERLC guy speaks against it. And then another guy that spoke against it was standing at the same microphone that I spoke from and who is an ethicist at a Southern Baptist seminary. So we had ERLC speaking against the resolution and we had a a seminary professor from one of our institutions whom we pay the salary of speaking against the resolution and still the resolution passed because Southern Baptists, I think by and large say, this is consistent with God's word. Let's do this. And it didn't matter that even some entity, some people that are in our entities even said, don't do this. Southern Baptist went, no, I think, I think I want to do this and passed it. So 
I think it's time. What do we learn? The majority want this. And those who are in leadership need to realize that it's okay to say, you know what, we've been inconsistent in the past. We need to think more biblically about this, not just think pragmatically about it. And we really do need to labor to abolish abortion only, not, not just do both. You can't do both to be, to seek abolition is to say, I'm not going to seek regulations anymore because the regulation pro-life bills are always the substitutes that are offered up instead of just making it illegal. So you can't do both. It's you go for the whole thing or you're not going for it at all. And and it seems so hollow to hear the cheers when these incremental things happen and they just get reversed again anyway. It's it's so frustrating. And Brett, I know that uh, you you know and our listeners know this isn't just a Southern Baptist thing. This is all of us. This is everyone in Christ's body needs to be aware. And I know this has been really helpful to our listeners. I'm guessing uh, that for some of our listeners, um, this might be the the first time they've heard about the abolition movement, and they probably want to do something to help, but not quite sure how. Can you give us uh, some suggestions of maybe some practical things uh, busy moms or single ladies or wives can do to get involved in the cause of abolition? Absolutely. I'll give you a few few different things that come to mind. Uh, one of the one great thing that you can do is actually go to an abortion clinic and stand outside of there, pray and try to talk to people that are coming there preaching the gospel, offering help, pleading with them to have mercy on their child. And we have many moms, even in our church that go and they bring their kids and the kids stand there and all that. That's something you can do. That's something that's needed. We've seen over 30 babies saved in this past year, just in Tulsa, Oklahoma alone. Those are just the ones that we know about that God has saved. As we're laboring to abolish abortion, we're going to these places where babies are murdered and trying to save babies like that as well. So you can do that. But for those of you who some moms, you live too far away or you're not able to go to the abortion clinic, something big that you can just do that all of us should be doing is talking to whoever you have influence with or whoever you have relationships with getting educated on this issue and then just talking to people about it. Give them some resources, give them some booklets or a book and discuss these things with people because the more people that realize the difference between pro-life and abolition and then actually would get involved in some way, it's going to make a big difference. Another thing that let's just say stay at home mom or mom who's busy and has her hands full already, you can do so much by just contacting your state senator or your state representative because they're the ones who represent you, mom, at the state legislature, just contacting them and even getting your group of mom friends. If you're in a homeschool co-op group or anything like that, contact your state legislators and let them know you want them to author a bill that would abolish abortion. And we've even seen that in Texas, that there was a, a state legislator who was supposed to co-author an abolition bill. And he was dragging his feet and just wasn't doing it. He said he was going to, didn't. And then a mom gets wind of this and she starts calling him at his office and emails him. And then she goes on her Facebook group with her other moms in her area and saying, hey, our the guy represents us is not standing up and doing what's right. And so all these moms start calling him and emailing him. And he signed on to the bill the next day. 
Ah, that's because great. <laughs> the moms are saying, Hey, do this. And he's contacting other people saying, I've got this group of moms that's on my back. Some of my <laughs> constituents, what do I do to get them off? And they said, well, do what is right. Do what you said you would do yeah. work to protect human beings in the womb. So even contacting your legislators, simply they represent you. They work for you. They're supposed to do what you want them to do to represent you at the state legislature. So even staying on them, that's something you can do from home, from your phone, just from your phone, wherever you are. That's a big yeah. thing. That is a big thing. Really great suggestions. And we just encourage all our listeners to take heart and find a way, even if it's a small way, uh, to get involved. And I've got one more, um, something that I did in my younger years. Uh, if you have time to volunteer, um, you know, maybe you don't have littles at home or maybe they're in school or something and, and you can go volunteer. Uh, seek out those pregnancy resource centers. They used to call them uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Um, some of them now even have these wonderful ultrasound uh, capabilities where they can show uh, young, scared moms uh, to be how well, they're moms. They're not moms to be. You're a mom already and uh, you've got a little one. They can help them bond with that little one. And a huge percentage of people, uh, once they see the little Little one growing inside of them, they opt not to have an abortion. And there's an incredible um, community of people who volunteer at those. So uh, just a, another idea there. Um, and I, I really like that too. And Brett, as we start wrapping things up in this interview, could you tell all our listeners where they can find you online and remind them again how they can rent or purchase A Storm Comes Rolling Down the Plane? And uh, do feel free to share any other resources you'd like to tell our listeners about and any closing thoughts you might have. Thank you. So the documentary, you can go to a storm comes rolling.com. A storm comes rolling.com. That'll take you right to the page you need to go to to be able to watch the trailer or rent it or buy it. And remember, if you have a pastor that you know of that you would like to watch it, you can contact us at Rescue Those and we'll send you a code that you would be able to have this pastor watch it for free. So don't pass. Don't pass up that. I would love to send it to you. So let me know. Uh, stormcomesrolling.com. And then to get further educated about this, I would encourage everyone to go to rescuethose.com. This is the organization that we started to help people think, and not just about legislation or not just about going to the abortion clinics, but to say, what does it look like to be a Christian in the midst of this abortion holocaust? In the same way that Christians should have been asking in Germany in the 1940s, how do we act like a Christian in the midst of this Nazi Holocaust, the Holocaust of the Jews and others as well? We're saying right now, you live in the midst of a worse Holocaust than happened in Germany. 11 yes. million people is what happened there. We're at 62 million in the United States of America. You live in something worse than Nazi Germany. So what does it look like to think biblically and act biblically to love your neighbor. And that is why Rescue Those exists, to help you think biblically and to act and be equipped to act. So rescuethose.com, you can go there and you could even get a booklet that we've produced called How Can We Rescue Those Being Taken Away to Death? How Can We Rescue Those Being Taken Away to Death? It's a little booklet that we've produced to help people think biblically about that. You can also go to freethestates.org. It's a fantastic organization as well, freethestates.org or rescuethose.com. 
those are great places to get started and you can get resources there, read blogs, watch podcasts, watch sermons. And I think you'll be well helped along in this process. Yeah, those are some great resources. And like you were saying, you know, we we really need people to wake up and we're all on social media anyway. So that's another thing that uh, that people can do that, especially busy wives and moms can do to get involved is just I mean, you don't have to hammer all your Facebook friends over the head with abolition every second of the day. I mean, I know Brett doesn't even do that. He's posting lots of stuff. But, um, you know, maybe maybe up your game a little bit on social media start looking at some of these these links that he mentioned and some of these resources that he resources that he mentioned and share those around on on your social media platforms and and uh, and with your friends at church and and like we said you know urge your pastor to get a hold of this documentary and watch it show it to the whole congregation you know share this podcast around with your with your friends and on social media and uh, and and we can all you know there's a lot that we can all do to get involved and to help the cause and and to bring this terrible sin of abortion to an end. Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You know, I've I've learned so much about abolition from from you and from a storm comes rolling down the plane, and I know that our listeners have too. And and it really is, like I said, it's our prayer that abortion will indeed be abolished very very soon. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brett. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And God bless. Thank you. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Don't forget to check out the show notes. We've got links to everything that Brett just mentioned. A storm comes rolling down the plane. Rescuethose.com. Freethestates.org. We're going to have all that there, and uh, as well as other resources that you could check out. If you loved this episode, be sure to leave us an encouraging comment, uh, maybe a five-star review at your favorite podcast platform, or go to a awordfitlyspoken.life and click on the contact tab or leave us a comment there. And until next time, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter, and walk worthy.